We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. There's the regular lip whistle, but I can also whistle with my tongue and then go. So I use those as embellishments to mimic an instrument or to add diversity, and it really helps me interpret the music in a more interesting way. Listening to the Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 192 PH Factor Sonic Tools All the Bells and Whistles. Come on in, have a seat, join the conversation. From Ontario, here we are with podcast number 192 and Sonic Tools All the Bells and Whistles. But before we get to that, Harry, how are things out there? Good morning, Peter from Nova Scotia. Things are going well out here. Winter has taken its time settling in. It's 10 degrees and raining today. The fields are all muddy and the horses are rolling around in it and making a lot more work to clean them up. But we're expecting snow around the middle of December. I guess by the time this goes to air, we will have snow on the ground, I hope, for Christmas. So today we're going to be talking about bells and whistles, which is a term that we hear often, either in books and movies or in conversations of sorts. The first thing that came to my mind when we got this title was For Whom the Bell Tolls, that famous Hemingway book. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which talks about one of the uses of bells in history, which is to announce somebody's passing. Exactly. Somebody has died when the bell tolls in a certain fashion. But let's backtrack just a second here, Peter, because we want to talk about people kind of maybe have taken for granted, in this case, some sonic tools that we've used for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of don't even think about how often and how important these tools are when they're used and what they signify and their history in some cases, their social relevance in others. And so we thought we would do that Uh, with the idea of bells and whistles, two really rather important sonic tools. In the case of whistles, in any case, can be internal, produced through the body, through the lips, or through external devices like whistles and flutes and other instruments, right, that go back thousands of years. Bells, I think, are more external. Originally, they would have been pottery bells with clappers inside, And they date back somewhere around 3,000 years to China, as far as we know, archaeologically. That's some of the earliest findings. In fact, bells are basically extensions of ancient gongs. Right. It's interesting because you have in the West bells that are struck often with clappers on the inside, primarily. They're also called uvula. But in the East, you have gongs that are struck from the outside, typically. You often see, for example, in Japanese New Year's celebrations, this giant gong, and then what they use to strike the gong with is giant, almost a battering ram post 
hung on ropes, mm-hmm. and then it swings back and forth, and people swing this giant clapper or uvula to slam against the gong to make the sound. But bells are really some of the loudest instruments you can find. They can be heard many, many miles away, which is why they're used to signal far away for people to, for example, come and gather at the temple or the church. Mm -hmm. It's a good communicator from a great distance of something important to attend to, come to the gathering. Yeah, draw attention, like, for example, like a town crier. Yeah, town criers use bells routinely to draw attention to themselves before they pass on the news in that big booming voice of theirs. Oh, also the bell in the way it moves, the way it sways back and forth, right, has certain kind of symbolic notifications to it, if that's a good word to use, where there's yin yang, there's good and evil, sort of one way and then the other way. And that pendulous way of swinging relates to a lot of the way the world works too, where, you know, we might swing from conservative governments for 20 years to liberal governments to 20 years to Republican to Democrat. So the swing of life is really kind of symbolized in the way the bell moves. Yes. And we're talking in terms of the actual physical structure of the bell and what we perceive in terms of its movement, but there's also the sonic qualities of bells, the range that a bell has, especially pre-technology, pre the development of our ability to transmit sounds over long distances, where essentially there wasn't anything other than whatever we could communicate from a mountaintop and a bell the sonic qualities of a bell really gave us that ability to transmit sounds over long distances. And also the frequency ranges, which are significant in terms of how the sound is perceived. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about those frequency ranges at all? So for example, voices, they have different uh, timbre, different qualities to them, which are generally a mix of high, mid-range, and low-frequency sounds. And those sounds have different capabilities. They have different properties. A low sound carries much further than a high-pitched sound. So, for example, if you wanted to communicate something a longer distance, you would use a tone with a much bassier frequency range. So drums are often much lower frequency ranges than whistles or bells. So you have this transmission over longer distances to ensure that in a military situation or in a warning situation, you have the ability to reach those distances. Right. And the lower the frequency, in some ways, the more somber the mood. So the death knell would be a lower frequency bell, typically. And then when you get celebratory bells, like jingle bells, for example, (laughs) or bells on the ankles of Morris dancers, that's a higher frequency type of bell. And it kind of exemplifies a more celebratory feeling, I guess you could say. Which is very akin to the human voice because we have the same associations with the human voice. When we hear different voices, male, female, lower range, higher range, we associate certain emotions and certain other characteristics with those frequencies. Mm -hmm. And some of the other kind of taken for granted bell moments that some of us really have forgotten in a way. For example, when I was a kid, we were thrilled whenever the recess bell rang. Mm -hmm. So our school day was kind of broken up and scheduled by the ringing of handbells, typically. In those days, in the 50s, someone would come out with a handbell and ring it and letting the kids know recess is now over, time to head back to class sort of thing. You also had bells that were struck to start horse races, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. 
So bells have been used in so many different ways throughout history. One of the more interesting use of bells was in graveyards. In the 1700s, 1800s, medicine being what it was, people were often pronounced dead who weren't necessarily dead. Mm -hmm. They might have been in a deep coma or something. And so what they did apparently is they put the person in the ground and then suspended above the grave with a string going down to the coffin, a bell, so that if the person actually woke up in the coffin because they weren't dead, they could ring the bell. Uh, and then you hear about the graveyard shift. And the graveyard shift was the person who would hang out in the graveyard in case one of the bells went off to save the person who was still alive. Saved by the bell is the expression that kind of comes from that. Mm -hmm. And there's an expression that, sticking with the more somber mood that we're describing here, that the expression hell's bells, yeah. which signifies annoyance. And I think the bells part might have been just added into, ah, hell, right? The feeling of, oh, crap. And then there's tubular bells, maybe that famous tubular bells mm -hmm. album. Michael Oldfield wrote a thing called Tubular Bells, and it was the name of an album back in, I think, 70s that became big as well as instrumental, as I recall, the whole thing. The origins of the bell in Christianity was essentially to drive out demons mm -hmm. and unclean spirits. The bell was used in that way as well. Yeah, I think sound, mantras, incantations, that's the general sort of sonic landscape that we have used for centuries to kind of in a superstitious way to drive out spirits, etc., thinking that certain sounds would somehow pierce the spiritual world and speak to the spirits there and push them away or in some cases draw them near. And what about bells themselves, uh, Harry? Famous bells. We know the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. Yeah, the Liberty Bell, Philadelphia, the crack, famous cracked bell. There's the largest bell in the world in Moscow at the Kremlin, and it's actually 216 tons in weight. Yeah. <laughs> and 6.14 meters tall. Incredible. It was, um, yeah, it was cast by Ivan and Mikhail Motorin in the 1730s during the reign of the Empress Anna Ionovna. There's also large bells in the Far East as well. I think there are Buddhist bells that are gigantic. I don't have an example of that, but that's the biggest bell in the world. The most famous bell, uh, bells, would be the bells of St. Mary Lebeau. In London? In the city of London, yeah. I think there was a film called the Bells of St. Mary, a famous black and white film with Bing Crosby. That's right. And there's a song, The Bells of St. Mary, that has been recorded hundreds and hundreds of times by different artists. And those bells, the ones in London that you're speaking of, were known as the bow bells. That's right. So bells have been with us, around us, in our ears forever. The old telephones were, before smartphones came along, it would be a bell that would be ringing that you'd hear to answer the phone. And speaking of phones, who else but the inventor, Alexander Graham Bell. Exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. And the old telephones were on the wall. You'd reach an operator by cranking these bells. You mentioned the bells, which is really an external man-made physical item that was used for all these things that we've been talking about. But the whistle, which comes from us, was something that we could generate ourselves. Right. And I think a lot of the instruments that were evolved 
evolved out of whistles, ancient uh, instruments of whistles and sort of horns that with holes that you could blow through that created whistling sounds, then into the modern piccolos and flutes and woodwind instruments, really all came from this ability to put our lips together and blow, as Lauren Bacall puts it in. <laughs> you have to be honest with you, Peter, I was in love with Lauren Bacall. In that scene, oh my God, the sexual innuendo and the heat that that little line generates. Oui. I liked her too. She was a class actress. And I thought not just the delivery, but her whole body language, her whole composure, very calm, but very specific. And Bogart, who is the object of her attentions and vice versa, his response to that, as you heard at the opening, is... Mm -hmm. which is commonly known as the wolf whistle, which has a very interesting history from the theory that sailors on ships use that sound during times of distress to communicate with each other over the sounds, the, the loudness of the ship in the ocean, etc. And then they took that on land to signal to women that they were interested or sexually attractive or what have you. But then the more accepted version is that Farmers who were concerned about their sheep or cattle would use that whistle to alert others to the fact that there may be wolves in the area. Hence the name wolf whistle. Which to me makes a lot more sense, really. Yeah, you should mention too that that particular whistle after the Second World War, I believe, that whistle, they made it into a device. Oh yeah, the wolf that whistle. That attached to your car. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but as the feminist movement evolved, it kind of served to kill the wolf whistle as a device for expressing sexual interests. It's considered more harassment when a man does that now. And women, in some cases, rightfully complain about that type of harassment because it's so overt. And shouldn't we also talk about the significance of the wolf whistle in that rallying cry for the civil rights movement? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, apparently... A 14-year-old African-American by the name of Emmett Till back in 1955, he actually deigned to use the wolf whistle towards a white woman in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And this poor kid during this time was beaten until he was unrecognizable. He was shot and dumped in a river, weighed down with a fan blade tied around his neck. It's just terrible, terrible scene. And uh, apparently at the funeral, his mother insisted on having an opened casket so the world could see just what horror had been inflicted on her son. And his death subsequently became a kind of rallying cry for the civil rights movement. So just one of many incidents like that, of course, during that time, but connected to the wolf whistle. Yes, and whistles are very significant also in terms of our languages because there are many cultures, apparently 80 or so, that still speak in whistles. And whistles are actually used as a form of communication. There are actual different whistles that signify different words, different statements, different phrasing using whistles. That's right. In fact, in the mountains of northern Turkey, for three centuries, apparently, people have been communicating great distances through whistling. It's a language they use called Kushdili, apparently, still used to this day. It's also known as bird language, and that's kind of for obvious reasons. So really interesting how people have taken whistles and kind of turned them into a vocabulary that has meaning in a language of its own. So yeah, 80 cultures, as you say, speak with whistles, 
Whistles were also used to disguise sounds. So, for example, American Indians or other hunting tribes around the world use whistling sounds to communicate to one another without alerting the prey they were after or Mm -hmm. they were signaling something without alerting the enemy to some other form of communication. Absolutely. It's really part of the, of sonic shaping, you could say, the, and the development of language kind of comes out of the sonic shaping. And whistling is one of the things that the human body produces that kind of moves towards language, whether it's whistling, humming, singing, finger snapping, screaming, <laughs> flatulence. All of these man-made sounds come from within and evolve towards language, towards words, towards sentences and more sophisticated communication. And often imitating nature because our connection to nature and whistling, there are some very distinct associations. Well, sure. Bird calls would be the most obvious one. Just listen to birds. Their whistles and calls are clear communications to each other. And they're very, very subtle in their own way and very sophisticated and complex in many cases. So they're fascinating to listen to. I sometimes try to imitate bird calls myself. I listen to whatever a chickadee or a finch, I try to imitate their call. And sometimes you actually get a response, which is interesting. (laughs) You start to feel like you're talking to the birds, right? And you have, you know, you have the whistling of the wind through the trees, Uh, you have pipe organs, which is a kind of whistling instrument of a grand scale, a large scale. It's really kind of a woodwind instrument. Mm -hmm. Wasn't the steam also used to propel instruments? Oh, yeah, of course. The steam whistle, steam engines. So you have whistles producing, in a sense, steam coming out of whistling. The actual modern era of the whistle was officially stated as beginning in 1878 Uh when a whistle was first blown to referee a sporting event. The kind of external whistle. Yes. You're talking about blowing through the external whistle to uh, stop the game or stop time, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, On the other hand, there are world champion whistlers out there. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a fellow by the name of Geert Chatru. He's Belgian. And he won the championship many years ago. We have a little clip of his. Maybe we can play it. Him whistling. is extraordinary and it's something you really love listening to because it's art. So you can turn whistling into art. In fact, you can turn almost anything into art in our world. But whistling is one of those things that people have evolved and developed into a consummate art form in some cases. 
Absolutely. And it's a skill because you have to have tremendous breath control and you have to be able to shape your mouth and place your tongue in positions to give you that range and that ability to switch sounds from one to the next, slow things down, increase the pitch and so on. It's a real skill. Mm -hmm. And there are open-mouthed whistling techniques and trills and such that these folks bring into their art that adds to the interest in what they're whistling. So yeah, so there's that whole side of things that people don't think about too much, but there are people out there who are deep into whistling. Well, it can be very musical. Do you remember that song when we were growing up, Winchester Cathedral? Oh yeah, of course. Winchester Cathedral. But it was it was whistled, right? Well, the reason I think of that one is because I used to try and play all the parts at once. So it'd be something like... <laughs> good. Man, you're good. You should get into these whistling competitions. That's good. My only whistle is... uh... Whistle while you work. Famous Disney thing, right? Uh, The elves. Uh, What was the other famous one from uh, that movie uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai? Do you remember that one? That's the one. Exactly, Mundo. I think the whistle, the bell, these two sonic devices have been intimately connected to our lives, to our auditory lives. And there's something else here about bells and whistles, which we haven't talked about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe to wrap this up or in closing this discussion on this topic, mm-hmm. we also have the phrase that says, all the bells and whistles, meaning excessive things that we may or may not need. So oftentimes when products are described or advertised or people are buying vehicles, homes, whatever, they talk about things with all the bells and whistles. Curious, isn't it? These bells that create beauty and compelling emotion in the world and whistles that draw attention and communication and all that are kind of demeaned in a way in that expression, bells and whistles given that it means sort of frills and just decorative things that aren't particularly useful or essential. I find it odd, that expression. I do as well, but that also sort of illustrates the transitions that we're experiencing with technology and with a lack of connection to some of our past associations. Mm. So as we evolve into more digital forms of sonic expression, we lose the connection to our history with those kinds of sonic tools. But we all know the sounds we hear on an iPhone. We all know the famous Windows opening. Mm. We associate certain sounds even with text messaging now. There's a, a notification sound that everybody recognizes. Yeah, and it's interesting that I know a number of people who in fact have chosen for their notification sound, their phone sound, bells, the old telephone bell notes. So there's still that connection, even if it's a digital reproduction. And I'm one of those people with all the options that are there. I prefer the sound that reminds me of what I listened to 30 years ago. Not necessarily going back to the bells, but the actual phone ring that we experienced growing up. The bells are ringing for me and my gal. Going back to bells, bells and bells and whistles. So 
I hope we've given you a little sort of window into a part of our auditory history, our sonic history. And if it's not bells and whistles as we close here, we'd love to hear your comments on this or any other thing related to sonic tools. If it's not whistling or bells, how sounds affect you in general, whether or not you have specific sounds that affect you emotionally or that you associate things with. We'd love to hear back from you. Sure. Just put your lips together and blow. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.